Hello World, retrieving Brad and Christy from the cloud. Hi, I'm your host, Brad Rayford. And I'm Christy Hornland. Welcome to the Risk Factors Perspectives in IoT podcast. And today we're talking with Rick Parker on crypto, cryptocurrency, how companies are penetrating the market, and how to mitigate the risks of onboarding crypto to your firm. Sounds like it's time to decrypt crypto. Rick, I want to to thank you for joining us on the show today. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, especially since we're talking about something that is obviously near and dear, not just to your person physically right now, but also to your heart and your interests, right? Crypto, cryptocurrency, crypto markets, uh, and and how businesses are entertaining the notions of using crypto. Uh, But before we dive into that, I did have a question I wanted to ask you. And if I can remember my own question, um, if you were famous, what would you be famous for? And I have a follow-up, so choose carefully. Uh, Well, since I was in entertainment before consulting, I would say I would go back to being an actor and actually get paid well enough to not have to do this. So that would be where I would start. (laughs) Well, that might be quite a feat, right? I I could say we're all actors to some degree, right? Maybe you're just acting as, this is it. This is it, Christy, I figured it out. Rick is acting as a consultant. This is research for a part. It is. Right? It is. I actually followed one of our former presidents because in an interview in the 90s, he was asked, what would he be doing if he wasn't the president of the United States? And he actually went on this whole explanation about how he wanted to be an actor, but realized he didn't look like all the famous actors that were out there. So as he was coming out of undergrad, he tried to figure out what career he could go into where he could play the same role for the rest of his life with consistent income coming in to raise a family. And that guy became President Bill Clinton. And I said, one role forever. Well, I could keep going to interviews and auditions or this consulting thing might pay off. And <laughs> here we are 25, well, more than 25 years later. I, I will say I have never seen Rick break character. And that is, that is enough to keep us all going. So great job, Rick. All right. So to dive in, crypto. Now, I want to set the stage a little bit about Uh, what specifically, what aspects of crypto we're going to talk about, because obviously this is a very large, complicated area, and I I don't want to boil the ocean or drain the sea or whatever analogy you want to pull out uh, and try and dissect all the technologies that are involved here, right? So the conversation today is around cryptocurrency, which is premised on a blockchain, right? And maybe we'll do another episode on blockchain at a future date. But within the cryptocurrency environment, there are generally true cryptocurrencies that have coins, and then there are tokens, right? And I want to make that distinction up front. Sometimes people use them interchangeably, and they're fundamentally not the same thing, right? Coins for, I guess you consider those the stable version of a cryptocurrency for as much much stability as you can have. They're based on their own blockchain. Whereas a token, anybody can spin up a token, and it's based on somebody else's blockchain. So you're tying a a different object to the foundations of something else. So a meta currency, if you will. Uh, Now, crypto has been creating a lot of buzz, right? And rightfully so, right? Rick, I understand it. You actually have your own small mining operation uh, in effect. Small, for now. I mean, because it's going to shut down because 
Ethereum goes away. But right, I think if you look at this from a 101 perspective, there's three primary markets. There's like the original crypto market and, and foregoing the technology piece because you hit that, right? There's the blockchain, which running things like Bitcoin as the, the granddaddy for, for commercial purposes. And then there's the tokens, which people come to, to think of as the things that are living on Ethereum, living on Avalanche, living on Solana. Uh, that's, that's those things, right? But there are three primary constituencies. There are the, the commercial, right? So what were we gonna do viably from an institutional perspective, corporate perspective, government, government perspective, can argue that's not commercial, but central banking uses and, and the financial markets, right? The commercial aspect being, or the, the retail aspect, consumer aspect being what we see in the past 24 to 36 months with the explosion of NFTs, uh, the reach out of, of major brands to the consumer, uh, and, and then retail trading, things like Robinhood and Crypto.com and eToro and, and Binance and all these other things like OpenSea. And then the, the, the granddaddy of it all is the criminal enterprise, right? This was about leaving the financial institutions and how could you launder your money effectively and safely outside of the government. And that wasn't, I think, the intent of the blockchain, but it quickly became the purpose. And a lot of people would argue otherwise, but the first... For many people, the first understanding of the crypto markets were Bitcoin, Monero, and illicit markets online. Right. And so maybe that's that, that raises a good point, right? The one of the founding principles of Bitcoin, of cryptocurrency, was the anonymity, right, of a currency, being able to provide, let's say, take an altruistic lens, being able to provide a globally accepted currency to nations that may be uh, under conflict or may not have access. Uh, to global markets, and this provided them a way to do things safely within their within their own countries, within their borders, uh, and be able to participate and obtain things from outside their their sovereignty. Now that's kind of gone away, right? I think as as we've seen throughout the news and with the bevy of thefts, thefts that have happened of crypto things, the anonymity piece is not really a selling point anymore. People want the traceability, they want the accountability. Is that a mindset or a shift in paradigm that we're going to see continue as cryptocurrency continues? So there's, it's, it's interesting. There's a, there's a dichotomy there, right? There's people that are always going to want the anonymity for a lot of different reasons, right? Is you look at the support of the Russia-Ukraine conflict or war, uh, and there's a lot of money moving on, on all sides, right? There's support coming into both nations some that people would prefer to not be traceable for a lot of different a lot of different reasons but there is also the how can i be protected so the interesting thing of decentralized finance is we all wanted to get away from the banks and get away from the construct of centralized finance with fees and policies and everything else but now we're in something where every single transaction we have often has exorbitant fees right. uh, and is completely traceable uh, in, in ways that we had not intended. So it's this weird thing of all things that, you know, have an unintended consequences, market adoption and co-opting of the blockchain currencies uh, meant that we were going to bring more governance to it because, you know, just like, it's like you have an independent band that you love and you never want to see it go mainstream, but you really want them to go mainstream because you love them. And then suddenly they explode and you no longer own it. And that's a good analogy for, 
for DeFi now because everybody's got it, but that means we need to now govern it in developing nations that are developing economically and microfinance on the blockchain is helping people find independence, either from an oppressive government or just opportunity, right? That they couldn't have. So I don't want to make it all sound bad. Uh, it's just, wow, it's a complex space. Right. And for, for the, the listeners at home, DeFi, that stands for, that's a, a shortened version of decentralized finance, right? Right. And that, I mean, a perfect example is if you looked at it and you said, using another, you know, another you know, way to visualize this is here's this giant spider web. And in every intersection of the spider web, we would have a node. And on the blockchain, those things are used for different things. Some are to validate transactions. So in your bank, they have a ledger to figure out money going in and money going out, who it went to and who it went from. By decentralizing that, you get rid of a single point of failure. So if the bank goes down, your banking website goes down, you can't get into your account, but you have the confidence that the bank is still managing your money and it's still there. The decentralization of that, taking that ledger and copying it everywhere, brings something called immutability. So you can't change it in one place because the copies exist everywhere and you know that it's... You know, the, the majority there is it's correct, right? And, and it's it's there. And that that brings security. That was an intent. But uh, the the challenges we see is now there's forking and all these other things, which have always been there. But if you don't know, and that's where you go to your coin versus token issue, is I can go to any number of websites, use any number of scripts, spin up my own currency in a matter of seconds, copy somebody else's JPEG, a, a graphic file, and then suddenly I'm my own decentralized currency because I start posting it on websites and people don't know the difference between the real one and me. That's a problem. The difference is I don't have a blockchain behind me. The real one does. Decentralized finance should protect you from things like that happening. Doesn't in the current state because it's not regulated. This is where the problem, decentralized finance is going to grow, has to grow up and figure out what it's going to be when it grows up. Right. So right now, a lot of that responsibility is on the consumer themselves to understand what it, what am I getting into? What am I buying? How is it backed? Because there's a familiarity with traditional centralized finance, right? As you said, like I go to the bank, I give them a pay. Well, I don't go to the bank anymore. Yeah. My, my, my employer sends my paycheck to the bank, but yeah. I have confidence that when the bank says, here's your money, that if I were to go withdraw it, they would be able to have that, those funds for me, right? I don't have to worry about where did the bank send my money? Because they've guaranteed that I will be able to get it from them. Yeah. Whereas in a decentralized finance market, I'm now the essentially the bank for everybody and also the bank for nobody, right? Because I'm just a node participating right. and my ledger might get hacked, might get changed, but because of everybody else's ledgers, uh, there's parity, right? So that change would be identified. Mine would be identified as being uh, fraudulent or faulty, having a false and be overwritten with right, the validated right. state, right? But at the same time, I don't know where anything is, right? Yeah. As, as a consumer, I have a digital wallet and I had this conversation with my mother-in-law over the weekend. She, I, I've tried really hard to help her understand what is a Bitcoin, uh, to use that as, as the, uh, the imagery here. She's like, I don't get it. It's what, like, what do I get to hold? When I have a Bitcoin, I said, well, what do you hold with your money in your bank account? You hold nothing. Yeah. Right. You're, they're not going to go and give you, let's say you withdraw 10,000. They're not going to give you $10,001 bills to hold. They're going to give you a check, which is not money. 
right? And right. you're going to go give it to somebody else, a different bank, and they're going to say, we'll take this as good faith. And then the banks do the transfer, right? So no, whether it's physical banking, centralized banking with physical money, we're still not processing and holding onto a lot of cash. And it's the same thing with digital currency, right? Yeah. And it's very interesting because that's it's a great analogy that you just came up with not two hours ago where we were talking about the difference between things like Binance, Coinbase, right? Robinhood, eToro, whichever one you want. And, and in no way am I disparaging any of these. I'm a consumer of some that are allowable by our firm uh, and only those. But, but here's the challenge. Just like with the bank, I have $10,000 in the bank. I don't have that $10,000. The bank has that $10,000. In a crypto exchange, I don't have my 10,000 Bitcoin. And if I did, I wouldn't really be working here probably. But if I had that, right, the I don't have it. The exchange does. So where you see these problems of an exchange getting hit, there's a there's a thing to say it's not, you know, not your seed, not your coin, not your code, not your coin. You know, those kind of things is, is you have these phrases uh, that allow you when you have your own wallet, whether it's cold storage offline uh, or is it you know online and it's yours and you have the seed phrase, you have custody of those coins. Right. And there is a inherent security in that. However, when it's on the exchange, there's not that. And what's an interesting construct, just like you're talking about in the banks where you are the bank for everybody and for no one, when you're transferring your currency, there's what we call like the the large pause. I've hit the submit button. It's going somewhere. Where the heck is it? I have no idea. I'm waiting for it to show up. And depending on what chain, cross chain, however it's going, bridge tunnel, whatever it's getting, somewhere through the zeros and ones, you hope it gets there. Oh, by the way, if you miskey that address, there's no way to get it back. If you send it to the right address, but on the wrong part of the chain, meaning like in a good example is like for Binance or some others, there's there's different uh, protocols. And if you send it to one protocol versus the other protocol, it doesn't make it to your wallet. Simple, simple problem. But it's your problem. It's not Binance's problem or not Coinbase's problem or anybody else. You set your money into the ether and it's gone. And in banking, traditional banking, we have routing numbers and, and you know, all these, you know, the, the, the old school micker on the on the check. Uh, and there's a security in that. We know we have the FDIC. We have all these other things and we have ways for tra- check tracing and everything else. They can get that money back to you. We also have loss pools. Right. So the banks have a certain amount of fraud that they're they're processing for to go check things and everything else. The regulated financial system through the failures of many frauds, pyramid schemes, Ponzi's and everything else grew into that secure structure that does not exist. Let me backtrack that a little bit. Does not really exist or formally exist throughout the crypto environment, which for the retail investor, and not even just retail, for the commercial person taking part, like person entity business taking part in the blockchain for for currency, that's a huge risk. Because where's your coin? Right. right? And, and what do you do? So it, it's it, and and if only one person has the seed, the seed phrase or the codes or the keys to your wallet in a corporation, that person can walk and has like that. We've seen that in the news. Right. They've walked with, with tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. So there's there's going back to like you said, is like, what are we going to see in, in the market from a secu- you know, funds security perspective? We have to figure out a way to make cryptocurrency 
scalable in a governance way for institutional use, right? And that's where we see like the central banking coins, like you know, that the so-called stable coins, unless mm-hmm. you watch the news for the past couple of weeks, but the ones that are backed by a central bank, right? And and we're seeing that, right? And there's an African nation, I can't remember who it is, that that their their national currency is now pegged to Bitcoin. And you're like, well, I see why everybody's upset about that, right? Is is you have the, a large float, high risk currency, but it's less risky than their own was, right? right. So like we've got to we've got to figure some things out from a consumer perspective. We got nothing really that can help us. There's some services now for, for that are starting to help track people when they get hit. But like we see with things like OpenSea and NFTs, you miskey something and you sell a million dollar picture for for thirty cents plus ETH fees. You know, you're you're out of luck. And that's to to get to mass adoptability, we have to figure out something to protect consumers and the institutional market before it gets to where it can be. Yeah, you bring up some some really interesting points. And I want to I want to take a pivot here. We've been talking about primarily from a a consumer basis of how do I get involved in crypto? What does crypto mean for me as an individual? Right? Is there a different mindset that organizations should have as they look at what is crypto for our company mm-hmm. or for our institution how should what type of narrative needs to be modeled around that uh, to take it from a everyone in the company has their own crypto wallets to a we as an organization have crypto management and we have firm processes what are what are some of the nuances there so there's there's several right so there's Crypto is a financial instrument, right? That that the 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 nuts and bolts, number crunchers with the abacus is, are trying to figure out how much do they expose themselves to in the financial markets for growth of of their available cash, right? There is the protective mechanism, meaning we may be hit by ransomware. How much Bitcoin do we keep on our books? To should we pay the ransomware? Not pay the ransomware? Uh, and then there's the aspect of commercialization of crypto. So that's where I would put NFTs, metaverse, uh, the various com- consumerization vehicles that are happening, which are essential now, right? There, there's entire industry now focused on that. And how do I get to my consumer? So if I can sell you an experience for $10 and I can sell a thousand copies of that or a hundred thousand copies of that, and my consumers do it, and this is individual artists as well as like Nike, Adidas, everybody you know, is out there doing this. Then, then there is an interesting pivot that the CFOs of an organization have to figure out, well, what's the risk here, right? I'm selling an asset. Well, this asset that I sold, what was the real value of that? And what is the value? You know, there, there is, how does this impact financial forecasting for the business? And from a corporate financial risk perspective, that's a model. There is the consumerization piece of what do we do for this as outreach direct to consumer? Right is what kind of products and services and experiences are we offering our customers, which also creates a very unique risk because just like you know, the old adage goes, why do you rob a bank? It's where the money is. Well, you know, why do you break in? It's where the data is, right? Well, now with cryptocurrency, why do you break in? Well, now it's where the data and the money is. So we're concentrating risk by creating this direct to consumer relationship between businesses and the customer by selling these things. But it's also a necessity because this is where we are. Right. Whether you want to call it Web3, whatever you want to call it, this is where we are. And it's like the dot com era. And we have to figure out what that's going to mean for businesses. Then there's that that 
I'll break it down simply. From a corporate wallet perspective, there's a couple different considerations that that people are that organizations and people are trying to figure out. You set up a wallet for a business. And the security and single point of failure is to say one person should have the the seed phrase and codes to that wallet. But that's also a problem because that person is then your single point of failure and your biggest risk. So how do you figure that out? And and what do you do to set this up to, to secure it? That is a that is a developing construct. There are a lot of ways around it, but you know, there's, there's a lot of tech, technical stuff that we don't really need to get into for those at home. The employee wallet. So if you have all these consumerization and retail aspects that you as a business are going now direct to consumer, you probably have a lot of individual wallets and a lot of different ecosystems where you're playing with. And somebody's in charge of all these funds, right? And you have to protect that. What I'm seeing organizations do is adopt the same kind of things they do for regular banking and regular trade and Forex and things like that. And they should, that's a good idea, right? But at the same time, crypto isn't run the same way. So it only goes as far as it is. So I think that's on the organization to put the governance in place uh, to, to protect the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. The real risk for me, while I do think that, that those are significant risks, the real risk for me is the retail consumer bits of this. Most, not most, many, I could be right with most, but many people that are that are playing in the crypto market, NFTs or otherwise, are doing it from their personal devices, right? Sometimes from their business devices, if, if it's not locked down. We at the firm have that locked through our proxy, so you can't go to these places, which I think is a great idea. But if you're using your, your own device, laptop, iPad, cell phone, and you're accessing your wallet on the same device, you have all your corporate information and that wallet is compromised, usually because that device is compromised, you just open a door just like you do for any other security issue and employees become a security risk because crypto itself is just the wild west and a scary place, right? I know people from just regular old folks to CEOs who have had their, their wallets hit and has impacted their companies. And we've been called to, to respond to those incidents, right? And that's that's only going to get worse and only going to get bigger, right? As you think about, I related to the early days of, of the internet and dial up and everything else where everything was fraud at all times. And it's not too different. There's just so many different ways and so many different avenues to go after people with crypto that are normally controlled in other other ways, right? That you know, somebody, it's it's a lot harder to get to your personal banking account than it is to get into your crypto account. There's a lot of the same security controls on the accounts, but there's a lot easier ways to go after your crypto accounts than there are because it's so diverse. Uh, so well, there's and there's not there's not that legacy right. uh, of historical failings that the right. financial institution has had, right? I remember. Oh, I was watching a movie, but there was a portion of this. It was not a documentary, right? Let's be very clear. It was a very, it was a comedy, but there was a portion in the movie where somebody pulls out a dollar bill, and everybody in the town goes nuts because they'd never seen one. Yeah, right? they'd only ever had pennies and, and other coins, and they're like, oh, a dollar, richest man around. And it's you know back then, like it could have been a fake dollar. Nobody would have known because nobody had ever seen one. And uh, we've had that time of not just inflation. Uh, and increases in pay and salary, but and overall economic uh, improvements. But there's also been a course of failings of having to deal with counterfeits, having to deal with fraudsters, having to deal with all that. And we've got these lessons learned that the central banks have recognized that our centralized financial systems 
have incorporated and baked in that, to your point, the crypto market doesn't. No. Right? DeFi doesn't, ha- it, it hasn't adopted those, those teachings yet or those learnings yet. And I, I don't know, are we lacking the incentives for that to happen? Has this rash of thefts and the, these new attack vectors and the shysters and the scammers, is that prompting anybody to take more direct action? I think it's developing, right? So what happened last week with Terra, well, Luna, depending on what, what news you're watching, uh, the idea of a stable coin made a lot of central banks look in an interested way into how do central banks get involved with crypto. And there's multiple kinds of stable coins, right? An algorithmic coin, like what failed last week, is far different from a asset back, dollar for dollar you know, backing. There's still the fact that we're saying this is funny internet money, but like you were saying earlier, funny money, regular money is still funny money that we assign yeah, yeah. it back. So it's that, that at least everybody's like, we're on the same page. Your funny money is equal to my funny money. I get it. This is great. Well, you know, when you get beyond that and you're creating pegs to a dollar with something that's other than just asset backing and is highly leveraged, you can look back to our own financial crisis to say, well, leveraged finance can get a little bit out of control, right? And there you say, like a failing, right? We start creating synthetic markets. Well, in the crypto market, there are instruments with 300x, 3000x, a million x leverage, right? So it's like, this is, a, this is a, just a bad idea, right? And you see this stuff happening all the time. So where's the incentive? Well, the incentive from an institutional level is there, right? Protecting the consumers, protecting the market, seeing bank accounts wiped out and life savings. That's something that these governance models were put into place for that are in place in, in retail banking, but not in crypto. How we get to that, I'm not quite sure yet, but the there are entire ecosystems, just like in our industry in, in, in cyber for automated hacking, phishing, and just going after the consumer. There's entire kits available that are very, very cheap to create your fake coin, to go out and hit uh, emails and websites and forums on things like Discord and Telegram to go and just go after people in fraudulent ways, right? And there is probably a little bit of nobody cares because it doesn't register a blip. People are essentially nickel and diming people from a fraud perspective and it doesn't trip the market. However, when you see something like whatever happened with Terra, Luna, that now starts to say, well, wait a minute, right? This isn't like when the exchanges like Mt. Gox and and others got hit. This is very different. This is a currency itself. And they're, they're still looking at it. But what some of the theories are is this was a coordinated hit with a massive sell against it to, to throw it off. Well, that, that means there needs to be something in here to protect that market just like we put in for flash crashes in, in our own market to make sure that the computers that are now doing mass market making can't be tripped and the circuit breaker goes off and we halt trading on things, that doesn't exist in crypto. And not only does it not exist, because I could actually funnel you to a crypto that's a lookalike crypto to what you were going after, so it doesn't really exist. I just took your funds, and by the time you realized it, I used something else to chunk up that trade and reassemble it somewhere else so it's completely untraceable. There's a, there's a lot of, the difference I'd say between the wild west era of American banking and crypto is technology, right? Is the capability for fraud is so massive now in ways that weren't fathomable beyond science fiction 
right? And it's it's not like somebody in a room with a typewriter thinking up the most incredible way to to create a Ponzi scheme. This is like, no, I actually have supercomputers to help me and I'm going to use distributed systems around the world to hide my true existence and I'm going to be gone, right? The fact that no one no, no one actually knows who created Bitcoin is a great example, right? They have doxing who created this, you know, are you willing to put your face next to the currency, the, the DAO, decentralized autonomous organization, the DeFi project? Are you willing to dox yourself is part of legitimacy for a project, except there's no, there's no, uh, there's, there's no long arm of the law to come after you. People are walking away and going living on, on islands places with everybody's millions of dollars. So we have to get past that somewhere. I guess maybe a question from the side of, adopting a regulatory scheme or adopting governance as you're looking at it, you know, from the outside in, I'm not going to pretend like I have the answer, but in my mind, the only thing that really drives actual change in governance is that a major, major player in the market has to absorb them. If that's an acquisition somehow, I don't even know how you would do that with something that doesn't have a face to it. But my, in my mind, what mentally makes sense is there has to be an acquisition for you to even have the use case to say, now I am going to start building my, my threat models for protecting that end consumer to actually, you know, react to what's going on in the metaverse with NFTs, et cetera, from, I, you know, would ask from your perspective, are there other avenues or is that something that we're actually already seeing? Is that say acquisition? Yeah. Consolidation, right? So consolidation within the market is something there, but, but unfortunately I don't think that's the catalyst. I think there, there has to be, this is, this is a horrible thing to say, but there has to be a real black swan in, in the crypto markets and things like Mt. Gox and, and, and the Terra Luna issue, these aren't black swans by, by any consideration, right? They're massive. But when you look at the scale of international finance, they're rounding errors, right? So to see something that will create an existential threat to crypto will be something where that could serve as a catalyst to bringing some regulation to it. Here, here's where we are seeing some things, right? And it wasn't consolidation, but it was taxation that created some capability, right? So KYC, right, is if you open an account on, on uh, Coinbase, if you open on Binance US, because as US citizens, we can't use regular Binance, uh, you, you have to submit, and it's, an, it's a pretty interesting process. I'm not just sending you my my driver's license and my passport. I'm doing that plus mail with a picture of me next to those things, writing, writing my account name down and their things. So it's like they have to go to some stringent levels because the American financial markets have put anti-money laundering and KYC uh, requirements on these businesses to try and start to bring them under. However, all that's regulating is the consumer. That's not regulating the faceless business, right? So that's why I think, you know, we have in America, like I can't go spin up, well, I could, but I can't go spin up my own exchange just because I want to. I can, but they would find you, right? <laughs> and they'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm running my own decks. Uh, and you can, you can totally do that. 
And you can do it and you can start, you know, if you have a roadmap and say, we're going to start meeting the requirements, we're going to do this. The problem is there's no formalized roadmap to create legitimacy for new exchanges that's going to protect the consumer. And that's where I look at something like a black swan event that takes down one of the majors, right? Uh, a Coinbase, a Binance, uh, being the, the, the two, you know, Robinhood having a, a you know serious, serious uh, issue because they're so heavily retail focused. But honestly, it could even be one of the big banks. Once the big banks start trading in crypto, and and please everyone at home, no, I'm not I'm not willing this or wishing this to happen. I'm being a real realist about what moves the needle and things that we've seen, just like in in decades of cyber now and decades of finance, is the catalyst to change is something that is hardly recoverable. And that's where we saw change out of out of the financial crisis. That's where we've seen you know change out of major market crashes, and that's where we've seen it out of Ponzi schemes, right? And and things like that. There are a lot and an inordinate, I mean, like huge amount of Ponzi schemes. There, there is. I, I don't remember reading the actual number, so I'm not going to quote it. But there was some outlandish percentage that of of tokens that are basically Ponzi schemes, right? So it's like they are designed, they actually have a name for it. They're, they're called ROI tokens, right? So it's like they promise an unwieldy amount of percentage yield. And if you get in in the first eight hours, you might break even. But the only people that are make money are the people that release the contract to do it because they have dev fees on purchase and on exit often for these tokens. So they're making the money. Every single other person is failing, right? There's nothing to currently regulate that. I don't need an exchange necessarily to launch it, right? Because I can go outside and create my own decks, right? Or if I launch it on, on you know, Binance Smart Chain or Avalanche or Ethereum, really, although that would be expensive to do, there's nothing really stopping me, right? I can go and list my coin on these exchanges and go. So, I mean, what what has to happen it's yeah, horrible to say because it's decentralized finance, but it, it's going to have to grow up and get mature in a in a layer at the exchange level, at the product level, call the cryptocurrency a product level, uh, and at the consumer level where there's an ecosystem of governance and control that protects against fraud, that is has traceability. And then this is where the big the big rub comes. In banking, we have loss pools for fraud, right? They have mutual loss pools for big big events. Right. They have individualized pools that self-insured by the banks. Then they have insured and, and reinsured pools. Right. There's to gain mass acceptance and credibility. There's going to eventually have to be something like an FDIC coverage for crypto for it to gain retail ubiquity. I mean, that's this is all opinion. I'm not a financial advisor. I have no background in financial. I just like the stock. Well, that's um, really disappointing news because Rick manages my finance, but that's fine anyway. So we'll we'll continue. Highly, on. Uh, diversified portfolio you have. <laughs> so I want to I want to bring us back to some of your earlier points, Rick. Uh, you laid out three different cases uh, where we're seeing crypto being used in in the commercial space. I want to start with scenario number two uh, in response to ransomware, mm -hmm. right? It's been a long time coming. I know there's been lots of, there's lots of thoughts. The government's issued its own thoughts about, do you first, do you pay the ransom, mm -hmm. right? And then if you entertain the idea of paying the ransom, most often not times they're demanding the ransom be paid in cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. 
And so then you have to have a plan for who's going to hold that. How are we going to acquire it? How do we, if we're going to have a, say a $2 million uh, package of currency, how do we manage that when the currency itself fluctuates? Yeah. Right. So uh, can you walk us through a little bit of how organizations might be uh, constructing their crypto programs mm-hmm. uh, for ransomware type scenarios? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's really interesting. We went through this with a friend's organization recently who I called in our folks from the response team to help because he called me and said, I've got a problem. And I was like, okay, let's, let's go figure this out. So I'll start with the first thing. Do, do we or don't we, right? Pay, pay the, the ransom. This is normally going to be figured out with your lawyers, with external counsel, right? We don't recommend, as a firm, we don't recommend uh, in either direction. There are schools of thought on both sides of the coin. Uh, you know, on the one side, you do it. Maybe they, they free up your stuff. On the other side, we as security professionals go, but the door is still there right? They still have your data. So whatever. So there's, there's a lot of schools of thought, right? It's also, there's things beyond us, like the protection of the organization itself. And what do you tell the market? Consumers, investors, and regulators all have a say in this. And they say, why didn't you pay the ransom? Right? There, there's, there's, a very, there's a very high level of complexity to answering the question of do we or don't. So leave that to the lawyers. And we think about the, the structure of the program response. So what we do assume still is you're still going to need a cache of crypto. And it's not just Bitcoin anymore, right? But the way around it in a regular stable coin to help kind of protect, and this is just my own personal opinion, in a way to protect against the fluctuation of Bitcoin, Ethereum, or anything else they might want, maintain your $2 million just as a number, round number that, that you threw out there, right? Maintain your $2 million in something like US dollar, you know, USDC, uh, you know, or Tether has a, has a fee there, but, but you figure out which stable coin flavor of the month is the one that you want to go to. And you're at least already in the market, right? So, so this is just me. If I were the CISO working with a CFO, CRO, chief accounting officer, and we were working, I'm advising and it's, it's my butt in the chair, and they're asking for my opinion, I'm saying, look, yes, we should consider having this cash of currency because time is everything if we're going to decide to pay. And the amount of time to set all that up at the time and moving currency and everything, that takes a while, right? So, so have if you're going to do it, build the corporate structure, have the policies in place, have the people who have the rights to do what they're supposed to do at the time they have to do it, if you're going to do it, in my opinion, on a regular stable coin, it makes sense. Others are going to want to do this. And this is where I say earlier with the CFOs and everybody else who may have a different financial plan for that. They may want to use that, that as a market to, to build their, their, you know, their kitty of currency, so to speak, that they say, hey, this is our fund if something happens, but we don't want it to be static coin. Maybe they put it in a, in a, you know, a, a marketable instrument at a low yield, but it's still in a stable coins that they're generating some currency, but still accessible, right? They have to figure all that out. There's a lot of things to figure there. There's also the legality that they have to work through with their lawyers of, are we going to pay? Are we not going to pay all these things? But then it's, it can be as simple as that, right? They figure that out. If they decide green light go, here's who's going to own it. Here's what you're going to do. They should consult people that are knowledgeable in this on how they're going to construct this access to the, to the wallets, 
setting up, you know, access controls and traceability and all those things that you should do in a regular financial construct. Do it the same way. The difference here is you've got the the at time of disaster plan that's going around this because you're only going to be executing this these financials during ransomware, right? Most likely, right? Uh, hopefully, hopefully, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> uh, but but you know, so you have to have that playbook in place, right? But now we have now we have all that. We also have to look at the scenarios, right? Like, what is this that happened? Right. Is this something that came in through a third party and I'm still there? Are we holding them accountable? Like, what is it? At the end of the day, we have to figure out what is what is our corporate position on paying versus not paying and in what scenarios, because it's not black or white. You know, it could be, well, if it's sensitive data or corporate intellectual property or financial transactions, whatever, it's just not black and white. And that's why you need a playbook so that at time, kind of like a tabletop exercise or, or something else that you want to be practiced, you want to know how the organization is going to handle this, just like other crisis management, because it can be the difference in also in how you project confidence to the market as an organization. If you were prepared for this eventuality and you're the CEO that has to get out on CNBC the day after this happens and explain what happens and you're able to speak confidently to what your program's doing and why, whether it's wrong or right, they're at least going to feel like you thought this through. Right. And, and you're not doing it on the fly. So that's very important. So that's you know, cryptocurrencies play in ransomware. It, it is somewhat obvious, but I'll state it anyway. The fact that I can be somewhat anonymized and threaten you for money and you have to give it to me and I can go run away. Uh, it's becoming harder for that. Right. Because of some of the traceability issues we brought earlier is people are getting really good at forensics on tracking transactions through the blockchains. But <laughs> there's also tools to help to further anonymize those transactions by breaking those transactions apart and bringing them back together. So it's like taking it, breaking it into a thousand piece puzzle, recombining them somewhere else in your wallet so that you can then go and run the 30 other wallets using that same thing. So it's like trying to find a transaction that's the size of a grain of sand in a really windy beach, you know, and that's just theoretically, not- right? This is theoretically. That's how how it could be done. Except that, right. you know, I'm not saying how I would do it. I'm saying <laughs> I read this on a blog site. It could be completely not real. But no, I think I think it's important for people to understand that, like, this isn't fear, uncertainty, and doubt. This is how this stuff happens. And if we look at it like any other breach is you're going to have a breach. If it's not paying for the insurance, setting up this program is not expensive or arduous because you already usually have these kind of crisis plans in place. You're just bolting a new scenario on and you should be prepared as an organization to understand what your exposure and vulnerability are. But then also when it hits the fan, how are we going to, what's our umbrella? Now I want to, I want to fast forward, let's say five, 10 years into the future. Uh, Assuming there is some level of governance that comes into cryptocurrency uh, become somewhat, I don't want to say stable because volatility is part of what people, what draws people to crypto. Right. Um, but now we're operating an organization where let's say the majority of your people have investments or have, have made a play in the crypto space and they themselves, you have a proliferation of crypto wallets amongst your employees. Now, the way I view it is this now increases the likelihood for insider threat. Yeah. Right. You've given, you've you've created a new avenue with the volatility of crypto 
and your employees, uh, we talked earlier about if they're using it on the same device, but outside of that, as a way of putting financial pressure on somebody, right? Yeah. If you can track somebody's, I mean, NFT portfolios are, are an example. If you can see what somebody holds, how many, how many cyberpunks, how many this thing and that. And I imagine it wouldn't be too hard to make some assumptions based on somebody's purchasing habits, what their, what their backlog of crypto looks like. Yeah. And so if you can put a squeeze on them, knowing when there's a dip and then the dip following the dip and you put a squeeze on them, you've got yourself a whole group of potential insider threats. Is that something companies need to be planning for now? And if so, what, what are some initial steps that they might think about? I, I look at this as the same kind of financial risk in any kind of investing. You know, we as a regulated firm, uh, we have a lot of rules, right? So like crypto being my hobby, we have a way where I have to actually check the cryptocurrencies I want to be involved in to make sure that we don't have issues with that from a clearance perspective uh, before I can get involved in them, right? And I have to be diligent about that. And that helps manage the firm's risk of me wanting to be partake in the crypto market. I would hope that there's some level of that adoption broadly, right? In the retail market until crypto is more regulated and then organizations can, you know, we start to see how people interact with bringing it into their portfolio uh, in a more regulated way firms can gauge the risk. <clears throat> All that being said, like I was saying about risky financial markets and you were talking about five to 10 years in the future, just like our very mature financial market, there are still very risky investments and there are your stayed docile bonds and things that, that you know, people look at it from a stable income perspective. That strata will always exist. Is it is this is like foreign exchange, right? And, and it's, it's always gonna be built like that. So there's, a, there's an amount of risk. When we look and assess our employees in our world, we have to disclose what we own from a financial perspective. That's not normal and customary in other environments. So how are organizations going to manage this? Primary disclosure is probably not something that most employees are going to want to do, right? However, that doesn't absolve the risk that you talk about. The fact that I could go and take your address and I can actually, something is supposed to be anonymized because people are very flagrant in their purchases in the NFT space for a lot of reasons. I can then track all your addresses and I can start to put together a dossier, right? And figure out what you are. And like you said, then I can wait and figure, but also that makes you a target, right? And it's really easy to have a targeted phishing campaign and come after you and get, make you a personal uh, risk of ransomware. So there's multiple sides. There's the ransomware piece, but there's also the insider piece. Like we see with the market, big highs, big lows. If somebody was over leveraged in the market, that makes them a risk because they might start to have other risky financial behavior to make up for what they did. So I think the same controls that organizations put on employees now for financial uh, monitoring is important, right? We do background checks on our employees to see, do they have gambling habits? You know, do they have this? Do they have that? I see this becoming part of that review right and disclosure process because it's 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 the only way right that it, it, i don't want to preach more regulation uh it's also the the anti <laughs> mantra of what this whole thing was meant to do but we have to protect our businesses we have to protect our people we have insider threat from a risk of somebody somebody being gosh what we've seen in the past couple of weeks 
you know, and, and even in the past couple of months with the markets being down 90% in some places in crypto and more, uh, that can create some desperate behaviors, right? And that could A, just create someone who created an entry into your business by not making a good choice and walking into a fraud that opens their device, could just make them a target. It, there's just a lot of different things from an insider threat modeling perspective that we need to be aware of with people involved. Well, Rick, this has been you know, highs and lows of crypto. This conversation has been a high for me. So I want, I want to thank you for thank your you. time, your knowledge, your insights here. It's been a fascinating, fascinating walk through the world of crypto. Thank you. You got it, bud.